from the gently rotting studios of Univest at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another Raised Bed episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. Many people still have questions about the makings of raised beds. I'm Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll discuss how to best contain those beds and what to fill them with, even some Google culture. Plus your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and fascinatingly fortuitous fromage fixations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here at Cats and Kittens because it's all coming up faster than you building the best bed on the block right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up, special for all you podcasters and radio listeners, we continue with our new feature just for you called In the News, in which we discuss a pertinent story in the news. This week, millet, the grain you never considered. Or maybe you did. Either way, you should have. Phone number to call, 888-492-9444. And now we have an unusual occasion. We have a return caller to further discuss the Japanese maple of his that I insulted about 1,600 ways. Joe, welcome back to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. And remind us where you live. I live in Aston, Pennsylvania. I did go to Moravian College in the 70s up there in Bethlehem. Yeah, but I've been living here in Aston, Delaware County, for 30, 30 years or so. Okay. Now, when last we spoke, you had sent us a picture of what looked like Cousin It on his deathbed. I mean, it was, you asked me what I thought, and I said, if I was your neighbor, I'd set the thing on fire. You know, just... (laughs) But now, as our TV viewers are seeing, you've sent us a picture of that shrub in bloom, and it looks very nice. Um, Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Now, I have a couple of questions for you, because you said you planted two of these things at once. Yes. In quick succession, let's say. Yeah. And in one of the photos you sent where we see uh, the top of the A-frame of your house, we see Cousin It down on the right, but what looks like (laughs) a full-size tree Japanese maple. Uh, those oh yes on yes i'm sorry yeah on the left of of at least the photo yes now they're not the same go ahead i'm sorry no that's that came that came with the house yes it was on the left side and it's um 
uh, a regular Japanese maple, and these ones on the right are what they call dwarf maples or uh, miniature uh, Japanese maples. So, right, yeah, right. They're, they're, I the have, world Japanese maple out here. <laughs> I had uh, yeah, it's a very unusual cultivar. I was not really familiar with it, but um, I had suggested it was a quote weeping variety because it it almost looks like the habit of those plants that are you know almost like have a head of hair heading down towards the ground um so we only see one here or do we see both you 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 can you're seeing one if you're looking at the a frame of the house mm-hmm. there was another there were two two other pictures from taken from the house mm-hmm. side, from the front of the house behind them, where you could see two. And you could actually see the, the uh, hanging uh, planters as well, uh, emanating from the uh, uh, upper part of the, of the one that's nearest the street. I see one with a bell, with a bell on a little pole. Oh, yeah. Now, are these two things vastly different sizes? Uh, not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, although, what's strange about it, Mike, is the fir- the one that's nearest the bell is is taller, right. and the one uh, closer to the street is flatter mm-hmm. um, by by at least a foot uh, in comparison with the other. Now I see there are bird feeders of some sort over top of the little guy. Um, are they hummingbird feeders or are they seed feeders? That's the one. That's the one. Uh, that's the one that we're talking about. The wrought iron hanger. You, they're so distant. I don't blame you, Mike, for not being able to make them out. But they're two heart-shaped um, wrought iron. Oh, okay, uh, hang- right, right. And they had gotten okay. engulfed. So, uh, yes. did you do anything after we spoke, other than consult your lawyer? You know. <laughs> No, no, no. I haven't. I haven't done anything except go out there and study it a little bit more and see what I'm going to do. And I, I, I made a decision, but um, okay. I want to hear what you have to say because your decision is is the primary decision, I think, because you're the expert. Well, the wrought iron planter looks fine to me now, um, but I, I think you implied that there was something in the plant itself that looked like it had been eaten and overwhelmed by the plant? Yeah, yeah. Uh, two two uh, main branches uh, protruded through the, the round parts where you would uh, sink the uh, terracotta flower pot. Uh, they're sideways. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they, they just, you know, uh, went down sideways. And uh, so what I decided, Mike, maybe you'll like this, but I instead of cutting those branches – I want to cut the little branches that emanate from those branches so I can slide them off. And I want to do, and I want to see if there's any bend to them so I don't have to cut them all. And maybe you'll agree with that. Well, you only see uh, the half-eaten parts of your display in the winter, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. Now's the time to do it. Well, uh, well— they're deciduous. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> they also lose their leaves in the fall. I um, <laughs> cute, Mike. <laughs> I I would, if anything, suggest pruning back uh, the bigger one, the one closer to that bell, in um, about 
two weeks after all chance of frost is gone and they start growing out again. And I would try to make it closer in size to the little guy and encourage the little guy to grow until maybe they can become kind of matching as, as to the metals that are trapped inside the little guy. Um, you try to get that out at your own risk. You could severely damage the plant. Yeah. Yeah. I like your idea though, to, to take the other one down as much as I can without hurting it and to have it match the other one. Yeah. I and, agree with that. I and like I, I think in a weird way, it'll make the winter look, look more normal because you've got two of them, so to speak, and they're obviously yeah. kind of the same. Um, you know, there's always, uh, there's a great coward's way out of this as well. Um, and that's, that's me. <laughs> okay. Well, have you ever seen when people have sensitive plants, they uh, surround it with burlap over the winter? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you wrapped these two trees in burlap, despite them not needing it, nobody would see them, you know, when they're, you know, <laughs> got curlers in their hair. <laughs> Understood, Michael. Understood. That's not a bad point, by the way. They are unsightly. And, you know, that's, you know, there's no harm in covering that up because you love what happens. Um when they leaf out again. That's right. That's right. It's a small price to pay. Oh, it's like, so, it's well, like, it's like putting a picture frame over uh, the piece of drywall your son kicked in when he was 15, you know. <laughs> I get you. I get you. Well, you know, I, um, uh, uh, as far as pruning back, how, I mean, how, how much of it can I go how far can i go with this it's, if, uh, if we're past frost it's, uh, without um, hurting it um it is advisable not to cut off more than about a quarter of the entire plant in any one given year so you want to make okay. this a multi-year project uh pruning less is better than pruning more because if Two weeks after you're done, you think you should have done more, you can go out and do more. If two weeks after mm -hmm. you're done pruning, you're thinking, oh, my God, that looks like the dog's breakfast. There's no there's no going mm -hmm. back. Duct tape don't work here. Yeah, yeah. Mike, excellent, excellent, as usual. Thank you so much. I have my marching orders. I know what I've got to do. Well, and I'll be very careful about it. Well, thank you, Joe, and thank you for being such a great sport. I really enjoyed that call. Oh, Mike, uh, we, we love you here, so uh, no harm, no foul. Trust <laughs> me, and I'll be listening to you always, um, and, and thanks once again. So you'll be helping other people, I imagine. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Joe, and you have a good season, man. Thanks, my friend. Same to you. Bye-bye bye bye. now. She'd go out in the evenings and pick her a mess of it. Cat home and cook it for supper. And if she had any leftovers, she'd dry it out and smoke it. But 
time for me to take a little break and inform all of you that our special audio-only segment in the news is coming up. This time out, we have good news about millet, the underappreciated but very important grain. That's coming up next on You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, what does hugel culture have to do with raised bed building? Well, we got a new way to fill deep beds that we will present to you later in the show. In the meantime, your fabulous phone calls at 888 888- 492-9444. Catherine, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thank you. I'm very excited to be talking to you. Well, I'll, I'll remove all that excitement within about two and a half minutes. <laughs> uh, well, how are you doing, Kath? Uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And where is Catherine um, fine? Uh, in West Windsor, New Jersey, which is right outside of Princeton, so basically central Jersey. Oh, okay. No, I know that area well. Um, oh, good. All right. What can we do you for? Well, I all of a sudden started to see a lot of articles about um, using creeping time and you're basically to try and replace some of your lawn. And this seemed very attractive to me, but it almost seemed too good to be true. Um, that, um, you know, you could just, you know, it's, it's a lot of initial work of either planting seeds or planting plugs, but then the creeping time will take over your lawn and you won't have to mow. It'll be sweet selling. It will attract, in, you know, beneficial insects. It'll keep away the animals, which might have ticks or other bad insects. It seemed like um, perfect. And I don't know how good an idea this actually is. Well, a creeping time is one of those plants, um, I guess the biggest brand name, if people want to look them up, is called Steppables. 
and these are plants that are deliberately installed between pavers um, to protect against weeds and also to do the other things you mentioned, uh, you know, give off a nice scent when you step on them. Um, creeping. Creeping means it will not stay where it is planted. It will constantly expand its territory. So if you want to do this to replace a portion of a lawn, you also need to install good deep edging so that it stays in place and doesn't go into areas where you would consider it a problem. I believe creeping thyme is not as low growing as some of your other potential choices. I believe it can get a, a foot to two feet tall. Oh, wow. So um, I could be wrong. I was wrong once back in 65, but <laughs> then I realized I'd made a mistake and I was right. Um but you want to look at the final height of the plant. But to me, that that wouldn't be a deterrent. I mean, it is probably, even though it may achieve a bigger height, it's almost certainly slow growing. And so maybe you'd have to run it over with a mower or a weed whacker once or twice a year. Now, um, okay. how big an area did you want to do, so to speak? Well, so we have a little bit of an area around a patio where nothing but weeds is growing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, at the very least to do that. And some of these articles made it seem like you could just do your whole lawn. I, I mean, the whole back backyard. Um, and it's hard for me to figure out how much space that is. Um, technically, we have a half acre, but it's a backyard. Right. So maybe... A quarter acre, maybe a little bit less. Um, you know, if, I, if we could just replace the whole backyard, the back lawn, I would be thrilled. I have given up on reading any article that isn't from a university extension service or someone oh, okay. with incredible knowledge. Um, I was just looking through things this morning, and I read the worst article of in my life of, uh, quote, peat-based composts versus non-peat composts. And I'm thinking, what is peat compost? The issue with peat is it's great in seed-starting mixes and container mixes. It is inappropriate to use to make concept. So the whole concept was blahooey from the beginning. And I see more and more yeah. of that all the time. You know, the only thing that you need to be an expert on the Internet is fingers, you know. Okay, right. You don't have to know how to type. So I like the idea of this being up front. Now, is this area surrounded on all sides by, like, the house and concrete or something? Uh, it would be concrete on one side and the house on the other, and then... The other two sides uh, would be are shady, and there's actually nobody there, so I, I don't have to worry about reaching into other people's lawns. Okay, all right, that's interesting. Uh, I would, uh, I would definitely do that. I would definitely give it a try. What do you have to lose if you don't right. like it? Okay. If it doesn't 
you know, turn out to be what you want, um, you know, you can install a, a better lawn installed more correctly in the fall and, you know, you'll still get good results. But I do like the idea, okay. again, the small flowers will attract beneficial insects. But I want you to go online and look up Steppables. Now, that's a brand name. And go through okay. all the different um, plants they have that are recommended for planting between paving stones. And then, of course... Okay. You know, Steppables itself won't be the first choice. There'll be all these other things uh, that sell the same product, right. but they paid more money to Google uh, to get higher on right. top. Right. Out, right. out back, you know, it is, my experience with time is it is best installed, excuse me, vegetatively. Um, so doing a big area could um could become expensive is the is it ratty grass out there now it's ratty grass and very weedy grass and so um uh, you know and it's uh, and we're kind of too cheap to pay a service to go in and do that you know to to, to do it you know the, the formal official way uh um, planting so, the planting the thyme or redoing the lawn redoing the lawn and we're also uh, it seems like the time is so easy and you don't need to add extra chemicals to kill anything. So, you know, we don't, well, you don't need have... to add chemicals to the lawn to kill anything. All you have to do is maintain a healthy lawn. Grass is, you know, one of the best plants at crowding out other plants, but Americans treat their lawns backwards and create their own problems. For instance, the only time to install a new lawn in your area is in the fall, beginning around August 15th, because you're gonna do a cool season grass and then it will grow up, you know, it'll sprout and grow into progressively cooler nights, which is what it wants. Then it'll survive through winter. Then it'll be cooler again as in the springtime, it starts to get lots of sun, but the nights are still cool. So by the time it has to deal with summer heat, it's a year old. You plant in the spring, okay, okay, and, yeah. and you'll plant in the spring every year for the next 50 years. <laughs> My other suggestion so, well, is if you want to try it, why not make a pattern? Maybe a lane out your back door, something like that. Maybe a little wiggly thing. And outline that with good edging. And then sow the thyme or what other plant you choose in that. And see how that looks as kind of an accent. And oh, I like that. I would also, eh, you know, sometimes there's a little Martha Stewart in me. I don't know. Um, but if you really like it, then maybe you run with that and do some hardscaping okay. out there and then have more kind of designs, you know, have some fun. Okay. And, um, it, I think that the time tends to be pretty, it likes to have sun. And so is there sort of a, something relatively similar that 
can tolerate some shade? Well, see, that's why you're going to go online and look at your choices. Creeping time okay. is only one of them. And there's dozens. Okay. Oh, that's true. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm oh. going to look. All well, right. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Catherine. Fun. You take care now. Bye-bye. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. As promised, it is time for our timely new feature in the news. Where we pick out a story of interest to our listeners from the local and national newspapers. Uh, this is syndicated from the Associated Press, and it's called the Year of the Millets. So we're situated here in Zimbabwe, and while the other villagers in her area are concerned because their corn crops are obviously failing. A woman named Justina, with a last name I could never pronounce, no matter how much help I got, is admiring her millet crop. These millets don't get affected by drought, she notes. They are quick to flower, and that's the only way we can beat the drought. Millets, including sorghum, now take up around five acres of her land, an area where corn was once the crop of choice. Now, farmers like Justina are on the cutting edge of a project that has led the UN's Food and Agricultural Organization to christen 2023 the Year of the Millets. It's an effort to revive a hardy and healthy crop that was cultivated for millennia but was largely elbowed aside by European colonists who favored corn, wheat, and other grains that the area now with climate change simply can't sustain. Millets come in multiple varieties, such as finger millet, phonio, I hope I did that right, sorghum, and teff, which is used in the spongy bread familiar to fans of Ethiopian cuisine. Um, millets are incredibly healthful. They're rich in protein, potassium, and vitamin B, and most varieties are gluten-free. And they are versatile. The AP article cites that they can be found in everything from bread, cereal, and couscous to pudding and even beer. That got your attention, didn't it? Millets are more tolerant of poor soils, drought, and harsh growing conditions, and can easily adapt to different environments. 
they do not need nearly as much water as other grains, making them ideal for the arid regions in Africa. <laughs> in fact, one of the millets is nicknamed the lazy farmer's crop. That's how easy it is to grow. <laughs> and it's a fast-growing crop, too. It can mature in two months. Are you kidding me? You can get viable grains in two months? That's just astounding. No wonder they're using it to beat the uh, drought season. It is still slow to catch on. Other farmers in the region still grow what has become the traditional crop of corn. But, uh, notes someone from the World Health Organization, you'll find the ones who grew corn are the ones who are now seeking food assistance. Those who have grown sorghum or pearl millet are still eating their own small grains. We anticipate that in five years, small grains will overtake corn. We can only hope so. This is one of the best ways of fighting famine in the third world. Um, the article ends, it's really amazing that you can have a grain like this that's been ignored for so long. It's about time that we integrate millet into our diet. So I know a lot of you are in extreme conditions. We were just talking about uh, my trip to Colorado before we went on the air, and it's this seems like an ideal crop to grow. I mean, it does have to be threshed. You have to, you know, handle the harvest carefully. Uh, but people who like to explore, who like to experiment, or they're just tired or the tomatoes dying, um, you might want to look. You're all familiar with sorghum. Um, that's what we mistake for corn in big fields. So um, if you're up for it, join the year of the millet and grow some. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and happily announce that I will take to the road once again to appear at the Allentown Public Library on Tuesday, March 21st at 2 p.m. That's 2 in the afternoon, cats and kittens. You can enjoy lunch in the wonderfully resurrected downtown of Allentown. Come see me at 2 o'clock. You know, or maybe 2.30. There seems to be two times floating around. We'll deal with that next week. And then you can do whatever you want. I'm Eastern Standard Confused, Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org.
welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am, I am, I am, I am your host, Mike McGrath. And we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a few minutes, we'll be explaining how Hoogle culture can help you build bigger and deeper raised beds. You won't want to miss it. And you won't unless you walk away now because we got more phone calls. 888-492-9444. Joe. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being had, Joe. How you doing? I am wonderful, bud. And how are you? I'm just ducky, of course. Uh, where is Joe wonderful? I am in Rosendale, New York. Okay. It's in uh, Ulster County. It's not too far from uh, New Paltz, I believe. Uh, okay. Your friend Lee Reich has a farm close by. Yes, very much so. He has a, a new yeah. uh, book out, a little miniature book on heirloom apples, and we have to get him on the show. Thanks for reminding me. Um, what can we yeah. do for you, however, Joe? I got a question regarding seed starting and vining plants. I uh, built a few trellises over the winter and want to create a vine and garden that flowers nicely, will grow quickly, and cover the seven-foot-tall vines. I've got a bunch of seeds, and I'm not sure what should be started inside, what should be started outside, and any recommendations for success. Boy, that's two different topics here. Um, are you? This is just your summer garden. You're you're going to grow the regular crops of summer, so to speak, on these trellises. Yes. And they're seven feet tall, not seventy. Seven feet tall, yeah, not yeah. seven. <laughs> okay, that would make a great garden. Well, I <laughs> I'm going to direct you uh, to yeah. our archives. If you go okay. to you bet your garden dot org um it, it'll have a panel there that says our you know uh, 500 questions answered we have done so much on seed starting we've also done a lot on which seeds as you say go in the ground and which have to yeah. be started inside but yeah. The vining plants I recommend for the garden, and of course yeah. some of this has to do with what you like eating. One of the most beautiful, mm -hmm. one of the most beautiful summer vines is the scarlet runner bean. Um, okay. It grow the vine grows very tall. It's highly ornamental, uh, produces bright red tubular flowers that attract butterflies, and then produces beans that you can harvest like string beans, green beans, or you can let them stay on the vine to be harvested late in the season as, you know, storage beans like like pinto beans and black-eyed beans. Um, okay. Some varieties of tomatoes grow 10 to 14 feet tall. These are like the indeterminate heirloom varieties. Now, you're going to have to make sure that you use, uh, there are specially made soft twist ties out there to help the plants stay on the vine and support uh, the fruit, uh, but they are well worth using. 
And these are generally the big bragging rights to Mados. And, mm-hmm. and believe it or not, it is really smart to grow cucumbers up a trellis. Because when people just lay, let them lay on the ground, they get eaten by bugs and slugs. Um, and they, they tend not to be very attractive, whereby if you trellis them up, um, they will not be on the ground. They'll have a much better shape and a better flavor because they've been treated really well. Now, what, what kind of stuff do you like to eat? Like string beans, dried beans, tomatoes, cucumbers? Beans, peas, tomatoes, all that stuff hits the mark. I was also curious about just like vining flowers, like uh, along the lines of morning glories, uh, honeysuckle, nasturtium, things like that. I know nasturtium I can eat, but. Well, no, nasturtiums. Flowers like ornamental. Nasturtiums are vining plants that are edible, uh, both the leaves yep. and the flowers. And they grow rapidly. I grew them last year for the first time in a while, and I was shocked. They really produced. And, yes, if you can get it together in time, there are varieties mm-hmm. of um, uh, peas that are yes. indeterminate, that grow tall. So you have to do, okay. you have to do a lot of research. Um, Before you get your seeds, you need to find out the final height of the plant and the knowledge that the peas will produce great in June if you get them in in time, Uh, but they'll be dead after July. And but by then the soil is so warm, you can plant almost any seed in the ground and it will produce. And that's maybe when you want to do your cucumbers uh, after the peas because they produce so rapidly. You can also do beans. But you got, you got a lot there. For instance, if you go back to our archive and, and type uh, peas into the search engine, yeah. you'll learn everything you need to know, uh, including a very special trick we use to get things started uh, early enough in the season that you get a good crop in June. It'll also help you understand which peas are dwarf style and which runs require a strong trellis. All right, man. Great. I've got a yeah, I've got a ton of notes now, so uh, I'll get to reading. And I, I really appreciate your help today and with your show in general. Oh, thank you, sir. We really appreciate yep. being of help occasionally. <laughs> All right, you Thanks take care. Have a good season, Joe. Bye, bye. As promised, it is time for a very interesting question of the week, which we're calling Hugel Culture and Raised Bed Building. Marcia in Rapine, Virginia, has a lot of questions, all of which are perfect for this time of year. She writes, I'm thinking of building at least one raised bed for vegetables this year. My site is not level so the bed will need to be 12 to 18 inches deeper on one side than the other. I have some decaying wood chips on site. Could I use these as fill for the deep side of the raised bed? Yes, Marcia. In fact, you'd be practicing a form of hugel culture when you do it. 
An offshoot of permaculture, the classic form of hugel culture involves piling up big chunks of wood like tree stumps and covering them with soil to create a permanent planting mound for new trees and such. The theory is that the wood will slowly degrade over time, releasing its nutrients as it does. Now, I could never wrap my head around this big mound style of planting, but I recently came up with a way to use the basic concept in one of my newest projects, a big rectangular container containing three large squarish containers that I'm using to replace an ancient, falling apart, half whiskey barrel on my patio that only looked appropriate at Halloween when we planted skeleton hands in it. We, meaning my new intern, Sean, who does all the work, were emptying the soil out of the thing that was once a half barrel when he asked what we should do with the rotting staves. Then it hit me. No, not the staves and not Sean. The new containers are a little bit deeper than I need, and I wanted to make sure there was good drainage in the system. So I decided to put the rotting wood staves in the bottoms before we filled the containers up. Unlike stones, broken flower pots, shards, and other nonsense, the wood will slowly release nutrients to the soil. Holy hugel culture, bat fans! Marcia continues. Do you have any recommendations for the material to use in framing the bed? You can use just about anything except old railroad ties or pressure-treated wood. Naturally rot-resistant cedar landscape timbers are a popular choice, and metal frames are the good-looking new kids on the block. There are also composite materials like Trex, which looks like lumber, but is made of half-recycled wood scraps and half-recycled plastic, which is what my beds are framed with. The boards will last forever, and I really like the idea of buying the end-stage result of recycling, especially when it's keeping the plastic component out of our oceans and landfills. And many people just buy untreated, regular old pine landscape timbers, which, like my rotting staves, will eventually become soil. We go back to Marcia. What type of soil is best to use to fill the bed? Not garden soil. As tempting as this option might be, garden soil is loaded with weed seeds, insect eggs, and potential pathogens. Now... If you have a really deep container to fill, yes, you can use some garden soil to layer on the bottom, as long as you save the top two feet for your garden mix. Or better yet, let's go back to hugel culture. Use branches and arborist wood chips in the bottom. Then you can cut the topping to around 18 inches. Now, I've been recommending the same raised bed and container mix for decades, and I see no reason to stray. Finished compost, screen topsoil, and a big bag of perlite mixed into every 4x8 bed. Finished compost. It should look like good soil, smell like good soil, and squeeze like good soil. Look for it in bulk near you, 
and then start making your own in the fall. Topsoil. You once screened topsoil, which should have few to no clumps in it. It also should be nice and dark when it's dry and have no off smells. Now, my best friend perlite is a mined volcanic mineral that's popped in big ovens, creating lots of tiny spaces inside these popped rocks. These crevices will both hold water and improve drainage, which is a nifty trick. Buy a huge bag, which will weigh about four pounds or less. You can never have too much perlite. Note, vermiculite is not the same. Stick with perlite. Marsha's final question. What's the best way to protect the bed from deer? Now, I am starting small with the idea of expanding to multiple raised beds in future years. This will be a joint project with my disabled son, and I have not yet decided what to plant. Well, as we all know, excluding deer is a highly complicated project. But there are two products I highly recommend that would seem to fit this bill. Number one, motion-activated sprinklers. You hook them up to a hose, aim them at your garden, and they will toss cold water at whatever is moving too close to your string beans. And yes, you will get nailed when you forget it's on. It's not the worst thing that can happen on a hot summer day. Number two, the wireless deer fence, a short plastic stake that you prime by attaching a scent pellet that attracts deer to the top of the device. Then you install batteries in the bulging belly. Deer will be attracted to the scent pellet, attempt to lick it, and get a mild shock from electrodes on the top. The theory is that the deer will remember this, associate it with your garden, and run off to eat someone else's salad greens now and in the future. Sold in sets of three, including scent pellets, by the creator at wirelessdeerfence.com. Well, that sure was some interesting information about raised beds and rotten wood now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the peak appears... Peak? The peak question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure. Can I get voice lessons? Just click the link for the question of the week at our website which is still and will forever be, YouBetYourGarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to de-rot my wood if I don't get out of this studio. Is that even possible? Anyway, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. And how many times do I have to ask you, 
I am begging. I'd say I'm on my knees, but I wouldn't be able to get up off my knees. Please include your location, even if you think we know who you are. I barely know who I am. Well, You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly and strongly from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he was abducted by an alien race that couldn't tell the difference between our world's mammals. They all look alike to us. And he ended up genetically engineered to be a bipedal dog that loved to swim with dolphins. Good thing they picked a lab, although his shaving costs are now extreme. Ken Queter is our musical director. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and see what's happening every day at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Teresa Radke is our peerless princess of profound production. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Also starring Jacob Morris as Napoleon Solo and Zach the Tack as Ilya Koryakin. Ably assisted by our beloved band of card sharks, roustabouts, and fortune tellers. Our CEO is Tim Fallon. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll continue to free my spring bulbs from a cover of occasionally frozen leaves because, yes, I didn't do it when I told you to do it last fall when I should have done it, but I didn't. And so I'll be out there raking until I can see you again next week. <laughs>